Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Gaines. And welcome to Chris Gaines, the podcast, the show where we take an exhaustive look at the career of country superstar Garth Brooks and his much maligned decision in 1999 to portray a fictional character by the name of Chris Gaines. The album, In the Life of Chris Gaines, was meant to be a pre-soundtrack release to a feature film entitled The Lamb, a way of letting the audience get to know the character before they went to see the movie. Despite selling 2 million copies, the album was considered a complete failure and heralded an early retirement from Brooks. I'm Michael Eads. I'm Ashley Spurgeon. And this is episode four of Chris Gaines, the podcast. We're really making progress We're here. just chugging along. Yeah. Chugling. At the top of the show, I do want to remind everyone that this show is brought to you by We Own This Town. You can check that out at weownthistown.net. There's a lot of other podcasts on We Own This Town. Oh, is, is one of them called Hot Minute? One of them is called Hot Minute. I like that one. It's super, super funny. Thank uh, you. There's two really smart women on that show that are also, pardon my French, fucking hilarious. Thank you so much. If you like smart women who like being dumb, then Hot Minute is probably for you. Yeah, so check that out. It's two T's in Hot Hot yes. minute. Ashley Spurgeon's voice may pop up on there. You can hear all kinds of things from me about how I think like ugly people are attractive or how I wish I was a spider or how I wish I could fuck a tree. You, Just all kinds of like intimate stuff. Those are actual <laughs> citations of episodes. You, yes. You do say those things. I said I have said all of those things and more. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great show. I highly recommend it. Hot Minute. You can find this show on the internet at chrisgainspodcast.com, now shareable on Facebook. And you can find us on Twitter at Garth Gaines SNL, which, of course, is a reminder that the foundation of this entire podcast was Ashley and I's, really Ashley's, quest to get Garth Brooks Back on SNL. You did some really good internet research on me recently when you found an old tweet of mine from like 2015 or something where I said, and I meant it very honestly, that the Garth Brooks Chris Gaines episode of Saturday Night Live is very formative to my identity as a pop culture idiot. Yeah. It meant a lot. And it still means a lot. Yeah. You're definitely not behind this as some sort of gimmick. You really feel that way. I genuinely really do feel that way. I don't remember a lot, but when you remember like almost every sketch from one particular episode of Saturday Night Live, you you really liked that episode. Yeah. Um, 20 years later. We can actually talk about that episode today Woo-hoo. because, you know, before this, we talked about Garth Brooks from birth to 1998. We talked about Christian Gene Gaines <laughs> from his birth to 1999. Mm-hmm. So today we will discuss 1999 from Garth Brooks' perspective and how Chris Gaines kind of comes into the world. All of these elements colliding in the heady, heady end of the millennium. (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited for today because there is going to be a little bit of speculation. There is going to be a little bit of pulling threads together. And Mm -hmm. there are a lot of threads to pull together. There are so many. So... Before we get into that, I want to uh, do a little a little more housework uh, and do some corrections from our last episode. None. I have <gasps> oh, none. nice. I was yeah. wondering. I was. Mm-hmm. I looked down at my paper and I was like, I'm pretty sure everything I said was perfect. Exactly. Awesome. We crushed Great. it. Yay. It was amazing. Crush? Not, yes. Crush being obviously Chris Gaines's first band. Yes. yes. See, we are scholars. <laughs> We are so good at this. All of this is in my head forever now is the thing that 
I want everyone to understand. Yeah. I I remember when I was a kid, I watched an episode of Married with Children where Kelly learned a new thing and there was and then like old things were getting pushed out of her head. So uh, I don't remember who my grandma is anymore now, but I can tell you a lot about Chris Gaines's family life. Yeah, that is. I'm sorry for your grandmother. But yeah. All right. So to start, Ashley and I took some notes on the last episode and we had some questions, but we didn't want to ask those questions because the last episode was an hour long. (laughs) We don't want to test your patience too much. And really, the last episode was just here's Christian Gene Gaines. Start to finish. Mm -hmm. Here's what we know. Let's not get into too much of what we think. Yeah. We're going to do it now (laughs) Um, to start. Here's my first question. Throughout the life of Chris Gaines, there are so many events where he's very angry with the record label. Mm-hmm. There's the promo photo where he's given the birds as a kid. His album's called Straight Jacket because the record label is keeping him too confined. He sues the record label before the last album comes out because he wants more creative freedom. Yeah. But he's wildly successful. Yeah, exactly. And it's sort of presented, I guess, as like, I'm just a young man and I'm just like, but authority figures, not for me, you know. But these are authority figures that are giving you money. Right. It's a job. Right. This is a career, actually. It's more than a job. Yeah. (laughs) I can see him being angry with his management because he does get super ripped off there. But that's not the label. The label is complicit in it. But he signs the contract. And there are no real stories that are like, you need to change your lyrics or we we you have to work with this producer. You have to work with this songwriter. There are no stories where like the label comes in and starts like, you know, pushing their weight around. There just isn't anything like that that appears in the Gaines story that we've been told. Right. There's citations that those exist, but we don't hear any of them. We don't hear any of it. We do learn that Crush has to record a music video. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And they don't like the process of recording a music video because they thought it was lip syncing, which is like literally, I mean, that feels like someone from like North Korea going out into the world and being confused. You know, honestly, like, I don't understand. Right. I'm My question is, do, do you know what a music video is or is supposed to do? Yeah, it was a, <laughs> That's little, a question I have. A little bizarre. Yeah, I guess maybe that was just against selling themselves in any sort of way. Like, you right. know, like. Right, right, selling out. That's something I hadn't even considered because I guess selling out wasn't a problem for any of the bands. They immediately sold out as quickly as they possibly could. They're not punk. They're not very DIY, no, garagey. They, you know, it's like you're sucking at the teat of the man, my dears. Uh, I, I, that's a whole other line of questioning that we will certainly get into in another episode. It's just the the genres that are, are bandied about here. Like Crush is a rock band, but they sound like 60s. They, they sound, sound like 60s sort of like pop yeah, rock. and so much of Chris Gaines is this brooding rock star who finds soul in R&B, but it's not that. It's not at all. That is that is a whole episode's worth of discussion that we can't do right now. I think it's probably inane to poke holes in the Chris Gaines story, but that's one that I just had to poke. I have, uh, yeah, I wanted to start at the beginning. 
with his life uh, in Australia and then his life in America. How did his family emigrate to America and why is a question I have. Australia is a fine country. There's yeah. no reason you can raise a happy family in Brisbane just to probably easier than you can in Los Angeles, all things considered. Absolutely. You speculated that possibly his father was not Australian. Well, he was the U.S. swim team coach and Australian swim team mm-hmm. coach. So in my mind, I just immediately thought, oh, well, he was the U.S. swim team coach. He got a job in Australia. Okay. He moved over there. He met his wife. He had a kid. That and was, makes we got to get back to the U.S. He was Australian in my head the entire time. I, I always envisioned his dad. So his mother appears in the life of Chris Gaines, and she is Australian. The mom is definitely Australian. What's, from the speculative standpoint, what's more likely? A dad that's unloving, that's American oh. or Australian? I don't know much about Australian culture, but I do know a lot about American culture, and I'm going to say American. <laughs> <laughs> I concur. <laughs> Uh, that's and also like the whole sports pressuring thing seems very American. Very American. But again, there's but, uh, a lot of rugby in rug- Australia. I was gonna yeah. Say, yeah. You know. Polo, I don't know what they do now. Barbies, there. I don't know. Uh, Koala throws. Oh. Next question I had. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a citation around the movie Poison Kisses. And yeah. Max Horton, the actor Max Horton, regarding the song Digging for Gold, the smash hit from yes. Straight Jacket in 1989. Mm-hmm. And Gaines' story from the booklet of the of the album, he says that he's sleeping in Berlin. He's in a hotel room. He's a huge Carol Wells fan, which I don't think is a real person. And he watched the movie Poison Kisses. He's seen the movie a thousand times. But when Max Horton dumps her at the end, I could not get this guitar line out of my head. And he asked her, do you do- love me, darling? Or are you just digging for gold? Why is there a fictional world with Carol Wells, Poison Kisses, and Max Carol Horton. Carol Wells, not a real person. Max Horton, not a real person. Poison Kisses, not real. Mo- yeah, I know. It's fascinating. What I really like about that is I can almost tell where the fictional stuff came from. Carol Wells, I met the first person I think of is Kitty Wells, who was a country music performer right, right, in like right. the 50s and 60s and stuff. The Max Horton is even better because the first name that pops into my head is Edward Everett Horton, who was an old actor in like the 30s, 40s, 50s and 60s. Most people listening probably know him as the voiceover for the Fractured Fairy Tales on oh. Rocky and Bullwinkle. Yeah, so, yeah. The, so the narrator of Rocky and Bullwinkle, he also appeared in a lot of like Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers movies in the 30s. He was the sort of debonair friend, the older friend who's like, ooh, you're in a marriage scandal. Oh, you know, I'm all a titter. And I could see him. He was older even in the 30s. And I could see him playing a role of like a millionaire who marries like some hot young thing. It's yeah. very likely that Garth Brooks probably saw movies like that being born in 62. Mm-hmm. His parents probably watched stuff like that. He probably heard that name. Horton is not a common name. And it's a weird one to kind of pull out of your ass, I think, somewhat. I like, mean, obviously, if your backstory of your song is, I heard this quote in a movie, you don't want to cite a movie that that quote does not exist in. No. That's obviously where that comes from. But... It's so elaborate. But also, it's like working backwards in a way, because the song, let's keep in mind, the songs already exist. Yes. All of Chris Gaines's songs that appear on the Chris Gaines record were already written 10 years 
yes. 10 years before Garth Brooks had any inkling that this was going to be a project. So he's taking... Not the, all of them, but, uh, but mo- some. Most, yeah. a lot. And but he's taking lyrics and then just sort of like working backwards from there. It's like, oh, well, this line, that, that could have been a movie quote. Right. That could have been a movie quote. Maybe it's a quote from this movie. I'm going to, you know what I mean? And it's just, and it's really just sort of like flies off the rails from there instead of digging for gold is like actually a like cliche catch. I don't know. There's like, there are lots of different. You weren't locked into that one backstory. Yeah. There were literally infinite options (laughs) for backstory for every single song here because there are no limits to the human imagination. But you know what? We're talking Mm. about it. Mm. So it must have worked. It did indeed. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, that happens again with uh, that song from The Best Of that was supposed to be in the Revelations movie, but that was all about the special effects, but Chris Gaines felt that the love story cited in the movie was the real meat of it. And yeah, I, I have to assume Revelations, I don't know why I think this, I have to assume it was a reference to The Matrix. I am 100% certain it had to have been Armageddon. Oh. Right? Revelations, Armageddon. Well, wasn't like, there a Matrix Revolutions or something? Yeah, but that was in like yeah, was 2000. Probably, that was like oh yeah, like Time. two years later. Time. It was a couple years later, I think. Armageddon. Let's go with Armageddon. What year? What year did what year did the Matrix come out? Oh god, ninety nine. You're gonna make me Google right now. Nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, could not have been the backstory. I am. Okay. I am very it incorrect. Just, it just they're so on the nose with everything. It's like this song is called Unsound Letter. It's about unsound letters. It's like <laughs> this movie is called Revelation. It is almost like the movie Armageddon. You know, and it's like my brother's name is Tom, but it's like what if his name was Tommy? Uh-huh. You know what I mean? It's just like like they're right. barely my right. yeah. Most of my questions about the Chris Gaines life and Chris Gaines story are from. Just a general sort of like writing and storytelling perspective, because there are lots of little inane details that don't have shit to do with anything. My favorite one is when his house burns down in a a Southern California wildfire. They make explicit reference to the fact that it was an arson started wildfire. Yes. Wasn't just happenstance. What did he lose in this? We just know he lost, quote unquote, everything. But we do know an arson started the fire. You know, there's right. there's no story about like any sort of like mementos or family like memorabilia that he lost or things from his dead best friend or things that like former lovers had given him. And, you know, oh, my gold records, all these marks of my professional right. achievement. There's no mention of any of that. But there is an explicit, <laughs> explicit. They go out of their fucking way. And this is in like the dude who was the VH1 narrator had a script in front of him and he had to say Arson started wildfire. Yeah. That's the kind of stuff that I love about the Gaines story, and it is just all over the place. I love that part of the story as well because, and this bothered me as we were compiling all the information, his house burns down from the arson wildfire. <laughs> yes. And it says he rebuilds his home and immediately starts recording. It's like almost instantaneously within the same year, he has rebuilt a home, rebuilt a studio, put down all the new music again. And there's like, there's just no time. There's no way. I mean, the insurance company dealings alone. I mean, my parents' house burned down one time. Oh, shit. It takes a very that long time. That fucking sucks. Did an arsonist do it? Uh, it was not an arsonist. Okay, well, that's good. My other speculation, this is this one's really quick. We don't have a ton more of these. Uh, the song, Unsigned Letter, which I have many future thoughts on. Uh, <laughs> this, this song, Unsigned Letter is a Wallflower song, right? A hundred percent. Let's listen to 10 seconds.
what song did I just play? Uh, you played all of the hits from Bringing Down the Horse, the Wallflowers <laughs> seminal 1996 uh, chart-topping hit is what you did. I will never tell anyone what I actually played because it could have been the Wallflowers. Could have been Chris Gaines. I'm pretty sure it was the Wallflowers. <laughs> I'll never tell. <laughs> uh, I, I do have one more piece of speculation. This is wild speculation. <laughs> this is nashville speculation this is chris gaines but this is also country music and this is nashville michael if i were to ask you just off the top of your head is there a handsome sexy australian performer who Hmm. who has who's got millions of fans around the world he's got beautiful wife and it's like Hmm. everyone loves him and he's really popular in nashville he's really popular in country music also he's really he's known as kind of more on the rocking side as well he's he's a guitar player he's really he's had a wild past this is great uh 20 questions Mm -hmm. uh in the late 90s, did this person have a really tight bod? He had one of the tightest bods I've ever seen. Did this person have a flowing coif of hair with a little blonde streak in it? Like the most beautiful man in the world would. Uh, did this person uh, just rip an acoustic guitar at pool parties? You know he did. You know he did. Are we talking about Keith Urban? I think some part of Chris Gaines comes from Keith Urban. Now, I don't know at what point Garth Brooks became aware of Keith Urban as a performer in Nashville as a country singer. We did a little bit of research on Keith Urban's life and career. His first self-titled debut came out in, what, 91? Yes. In Australia. I think he's New Zealand, but yeah, whatever, that region. Whatever, down there. (laughs) Australia, by the way, point. Like, this guy's from Australia. Let's all soak that in. So point, so point. Keith Urban, actual living, breathing Australian yeah. from the continent <laughs> slash country of Australia. Okay, so that's cool. Number two, I just let's start at the top with his hair and his facial hair. Just aesthetically, the styling of 1998, 1999 era Keith Urban is sort of along those same lines. Now, granted, that is what like pretty hipster men were kind of doing at the time. Sure. This is pre-metrosexual. There's a lot of goo-goo dolls that look like that. Oh, yes, 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 yes. You know, guys who wear like lots of leather braids. Bracelets and I don't and know them stuff. personally, but yes, there's lots of them. Yeah, <laughs> and a lot of them are very attractive. A lot well, of them are sure. very pretty. Uh, so I just find that fascinating. It's hard for the me same. to ignore the fact that there is a super famous Australian kind of rock guy who has aesthetic and maybe somewhat biographical similarities. Because, yeah. but he's not even super famous then, which makes it even more plausible of speculation. I know, and like really kind of like shady, right? Right. Really kind of just like a little bit, you know, nothing in Keith Urban's music sounds anything like the Chris Gaines I will music. believe you say that. I've never listened to a Keith Urban song. I'm saying that. Have I listened to a Keith Urban song? Couldn't tell you one. Couldn't name one. One Headlight? Is that a Keith Urban song? <laughs> Three Marlenas. <laughs> um, even now, like looking at pictures of him now, he has a little soul patch. Yeah, like, absolutely. He's still rocking the Chris Gaines, which may be rocking the Keith Urban. Oh, it's just like an Aurora, Aurorabos, Aurorabos. <laughs> yeah, the Aurora Borealis. The Aurora Borealis of the snake that eats its butt. Yeah, that's Garth and... Uh, Keith Urban. This is wild speculation, but am I saying it's true? Yes. Yes. So on the topic of wild speculation, in the last episode, I cited that there is a MySpace page for Chris Gaines. That's true. And that there is an entry on that music player that included the song Wrapped Up in You. I posited that that is a Chris Gaines song that was abandoned and then ended up on Garth Brooks' Scarecrow album. 
I made that up, y'all. Like that's <laughs> that's just off the top of my head, and uh, it seems pretty realistic, but not not really. Do not take that. Don't take that as gospel. Oh, I do have one more thing, and this is regarding Chris's second solo record, Fornicopia. Ugh. My main question is, why not just call it Pornicopia, which is a better title and also gets to the point faster. Well, I think be- I think the real answer is because Garth Brooks is a good Christian man. <laughs> So you don't put porn oh, in your title. He? Well, we'll get to that oh, momentarily. Right. Uh, you know, we did a little exercise dissecting that. Fornicopia is a compound <laughs> word of... It's a, a portmanteau. Oh, correct. Yes. Uh, a word that I would never think to use, but that's why you are the writer and smarter one on this show. Fornication mm-hmm. and cornucopia. So like a cornucopia of fornications. Yes. Of... Which I guess makes sense, but... Forn is not, as you cited, yeah. is not a prefix. Forn is not a prefix. It is not a commonly recognized shorthand for sex. No. Porn, however, P-O-R-N, is a real word. Yep. An instantly recognizable one. Also, just thinking this through in my head, I can even much more easily imagine a cornucopia, a horn filled with pornography DVDs or mm-hmm. videos than mm-hmm. like a cornucopia filled with fornication, which I'm guessing is just like... P's and V's just loosely tumbling out, like unconnected from human bodies. I'm very confused. Either way, it's disgusting. Please let this episode title be P's and V's just tumbling out. (laughs) You're the one who titles them, so that's all you. You're the title master. Okay. Uh, Speculation over for this episode. Well, not entirely, but at least our list of questions for now. If you have questions, please hit us up at Garth Gaines SNL. We've been getting great feedback. We really appreciate it. I've been getting text messages from friends saying that they're enjoying this. And My that, coworkers are nice to me now. It's great. Uh, I mean, no, they're it's, always nice. It's validating. So the thing that I want the most is getting there. It's happening. Yeah. I love it. Yay. Oh, one. I Wait, I did have one more. You got one more? I did have one more question. Is Tommy Levitz's father Jewish? Yes. Okay, cool. I was just wondering. Did Tommy have a bar mitzvah? Why isn't there a story about Tommy's bar mitzvah? <gasps> what if Tommy got the ring for his bar mitzvah? All right, listen, I don't want to get into this in this episode, but I have found a wellspring of information about Tommy Levitz that may or may not be canon. I am rock hard right now. Fascinating. We will talk about it in another episode because it is it ended up being a much deeper well than I ever imagined. All due respect to Chris Gaines, but the more I learn about Tommy Levitz, the more I want to learn. Well, he was a brother and a god. <laughs> He was a musical genius. He was a preternatural musical genius and a pilot at the age of 16. This is the man I want to know everything about. A pilot. Amazing. (laughs) Unbelievable. Okay. So now is the point of the show where we get to the real meat of the episode and we talk about Garth Brooks at the end of 1998 and go through what happened through 98, 99, because that is when the world was introduced to Chris Gaines. Simply put, Garth has been on the road since 1993. There are small breaks. Uh, He goes on a Garth Brooks world tour that starts in 1996. It runs through 98. There's 220 shows. Uh, There's one show in South America that is credited as being the third most attended concert of all time. Wow. It's credited as being one of the decade's highest grossing tours. It's two straight years on the road, but there's also tours before that. He releases a live album in November of 98 called Double Live. It goes gangbusters. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. The album broke the first week sales record 
previously held by Pearl Jam's Versus. Interesting, really? Huh. Inter- interesting note. Huh. I guess Pearl Jam's second album would do fairly well. Uh, it sold a million copies in the first week. A, a double a, live album. Right? <laughs> And this is after he's released a box set. Of and his live pr- albums like, typically fucking suck. Yes, live albums yes. are horrible. There's only like four good ones. <laughs> uh, by two, th- I want to ask you so bad, but we gotta <laughs> gotta stay focused. The world will will eventually find out. Uh, by 2012, that double live had sold six million copies. I mean, like it it has staying power. Fun fact: it was released on Ghost Tunes in 2014. Never forget Ghost Tunes. Oh, well, explain Ghost Tunes. Have we talked about uh, that? Oh, we talked a little bit about okay. Ghost Tunes. It was a tag on an okay. episode. That's Garth's iTunes. Um, so basically, the Double Live album is called from 347 performances. Which is insane. Uh, every million albums that were sold, they changed the cover art like just to keep it fresh. So that means more people are buying it again. Basically, like November 22nd, 1998, the tour ends. Dude's got to be exhausted. Like, he's got to be just, like, out of his mind spent. Yeah. There's an interview with him uh, with CNN, a CNN article I believe you found, November 25th. This is three days after the tour ends. Uh, he says he would rather crawl in a hole and make music than be on the road. He, he says that he would miss it, but he would rather crawl in a hole and make music. Yeah. The following paragraph, November 25th, 1998, from the mouth of Garth Brooks. Anything we do in movies is the same with music. It's a chance to form an expression or entertain somebody for hopefully two hours, and that's what we're going to do. Right now, we're producing the thing called The Lamb. Paramount Pictures, Don Was, and Babyface are overseeing the musical project of it, which I'm going to have fun stretching out and acting on audio, because it's going to be more of a pop rock star than a country project. So this will be fun for me to stretch out. And that's November 98. Yeah. So you got to think, Don Was is already involved. Babyface Baby face is already involved. Paramount. Yeah. I mean, this is already high, high level stuff. With high level people, Babyface is like huge. Kenneth Babyface? Mr. Edmonds? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I'm familiar. So November 98, this guy's been touring relentlessly for years and has managed in that time to cook up the idea of Chris Gaines, sell it to Paramount, mm-hmm. sell it to Don yeah. Wells, sell it to Babyface, yeah. and probably, as we will find, record the songs, do the photo shoots, and like write all these backstories. Because by the time you announce an album, particularly when you're at Garth Brooks level... God, yeah, there's a year oh, already absolutely. done. Yeah. yeah. The groundwork was well laid prior to this. You know, because we're in Nashville, we always hear stories of various people. Uh, Ashley has anecdotes about Keith Urban. Can't share them, but she's got them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have anecdotes about Garth Brooks. Anecdotally, I've heard that he was talking about Chris Gaines in the summer of 98. Yeah, which makes sense just from a logistical timeline standpoint. That makes absolute sense. So when we think of Chris Gaines, we're like, oh, 99 was so crazy. It was cooking for way longer than that. It was in the mind grapes of Mr. Brooks. He said something in that CNN article that you just referenced that I think is really interesting. I wrote it down. And it it gives me some insight into Garth, where he described shows and movies both as a chance to entertain. And it's like, is that how, because I mean, art is also art, you know, it can be edifying in a way, it can can make you think, it can make you feel, it can be more than just entertainment, but is this how he perceives it in the main, the main thrust of it? Yeah. I don't know how he thinks of this. I think he's tired of this a little bit. I mean, it would be hard not to, right? Wouldn't it? I mean, he th- if you've ever seen Garth live, old or new, whatever, he's amazing. I saw him F at one of his 
concerts at Bridgestone Arena, and I guess it was when were the floods? Twenty ten. Oh yeah. A, a flood benefit concert. I went to one of his three or four major shows, and it was one of the best concerts I've ever seen. It yeah. really was. And I was with like three other people from all over the country, like L.A. Grew up in Chicago, grew up in New York or wherever, and I knew like every fucking song. Right. Every song. <laughs> these dudes I was with, I didn't know any. But it's still good, even if you don't know the songs. Exactly. Like, I had such a good, you know, I was waiting for the hits. Like, give me the two or three that I know. But right. I really enjoyed myself the rest of the time. It's impossible not to because it's a communal experience and there's like 30,000 other people singing along. You get wrapped up in it, yeah. you know? So I think that, that there's such an interesting dichotomy there where like, it's got to be the fuel to your fire to like be in that environment. What a thing. I mean... If I just sit here and just think about that happening to me, like I would get off on it. Like seriously, <laughs> like it's fucking cool, right? Like right. it's fucking cool. And also exhausting. Horrible. Right. The absolute worst. Even in a tour bus with the lap who of luxury. Be, who wants to be on a tour bus though, really? Who really want you know what I mean? I mean, I don't know. And I can understand that this Ugh. this would be especially knowing the career of him mm -hmm. up to this point. He has been putting out albums back to back like year after year he's putting out albums and they're like breaking records like that the pressure of that to top yourself constantly absolutely and everything we've read about garth like that's how he's talked about in nashville media and like amongst nashville like music row people is like the money he brings in and the, it's like there's so many things where it's like uh you there's a gimmick for a million like mm -hmm. you said it's like sell a million change the record cover sell a million tickets and you're, if you're the millionth ticket buyer for my tour you get a car the second million yeah. you get a car and a boat you know what i mean yeah. it's just always like exponentially like more and more and more and bigger and bigger but you're gonna hit a ceiling right everyone's gonna hit a ceiling right but he's also set himself up now that his ceiling is way up there way up there <laughs> yeah it's also worth noting that based on what Ashley's saying about these numbers and how everything on Music Row and in country music and probably just commercial music in general is very much based on record sales. It's a business. It's a music business. Exactly. And if we look at that Chris Gaines booklet, when they're describing the kind of quick overview of Chris Gaines discography, every album is cited as having what it did on the Billboard charts, how, oh, how yeah. many it sold. And from like a storytelling perspective... I don't really care. I do care that one record spent 224 weeks on a chart. Which we, I believe we have confirmed was not a typo. Correct. Yeah. Uh, that's four and a half years on, <laughs> on, on a chart. Yeah. No, but I it's not important agree. to the to the listener. If I if Prince makes up a new artist or David Bowie comes up with the Thin White Duke, I'm not interested in knowing, well, how do you do on the they charts? They sold 12 million records. They sold 15 million records. They were on the charts for 52 weeks. They held at my nine to five at my part, at part of my actual job. At one point I had to do sort of like a country music recap kind of show. And I mean, that's 90% of the conversation. That's 90% of the, it's what people want to know. And if that's how you talk about country music artists. It's like Keith Urban has had however many number one hits, you know, right. it, it doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter who it is. That's how they're all spoken about in terms of, of how much radio play have you had, how long have you been on the charts, how many albums have you sold, how many tickets have you sold. Tickets at least make sense to me because that's how people actually make their money is like mm -hmm. live performances on the road. Like that I at least get. Like mm -hmm. who gives a fuck if you're like number one? I mean, I guess the artist cares right. because it's a professional achievement, but like I'm not sure why any fan would ever care. The, yeah, the label and the PRO care for sure. Uh -huh. But like 
I don't go to a Garth Brooks concert because I'm like, well, you know, he's the highest grossing <laughs> solo yeah. artist of all time. Well, like, I was going to go, you know, I wanted to go see Beyonce, but she's only had seven hits and <laughs> I don't I don't pay for anyone unless they've had 10 or more. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's ridiculous. I mean, like, we're complaining about the music industry, which is clearly ridiculous, but it's it's a framework for which this whole thing exists. It's, it's in really, his head to such a yeah. degree. It is in his head to such a degree that he cannot excise it. He can't even think in like a creed what are these records about well i don't know but it was number one for four weeks 224 weeks well it was on the charts for 224 (laughs) weeks that like you said it could have been like number like 72 yeah yeah it's it's an interesting framework to uh, how to approach this and i think you're completely right so november he's basically announced this chris Mm games project he's made the november of 1998 yeah december we don't have much from him it's Christmas time. Give the man a break. Let him let him spend. He does some time. have like three children. He has three <laughs> children and a wife that uh, we later learn he's not getting along great Mm-mm. with. Um, so he's at home for Christmas, and then 1999 begins, and we're just going to kind of go through month by month the the highlights of what happened of what we know. So the one appearance we know of in January of 1999, the 26th annual American Music Awards happen, and mm-hmm. Garth presents Billy Joel. Oh, yeah. With the Award of Merit for Lifetime Achievement, which is, you know, he covers Billy Joel on one of his solo albums, Garth Brooks' solo album. So they're buddies. He's a huge Billy Joel fan. And honestly, it's really sweet to me because Billy Joel is like older than, you know, it's like this is someone he grew up listening to yeah. and grew up admiring. And now you're peers. And probably made a shitload of I'm money by covering I'm literally going to cry just a little bit because now I'm really thinking about what that must be like. Yeah. That's so sweet. That it's like imagine sweet. growing up, really, and loving Billy Joel, really, covering Billy Joel's songs on your records, really. And it's like now Billy Joel is he he's accepted me on his level. Yeah. That's so nice. He's in behind the life of Chris Kane. I Gaines. know. It was like one of the very few real people in the thing. <laughs> he's like the highest profile real For person. Sure. No offense to Don was. Yeah. Well. So that's amazing. Uh, also, at that a music award, Garth meets Kiss. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he met him. I think he'd recorded on an album and like maybe performed on Leno. There's probably a whole backstory there. But there's a picture of Garth with Kiss in full makeup, and it's phenomenal. It's so good. We will put it on our Twitter. It's on Getty it's so Images. You, could, you yeah. Uh, shout out to Getty Images. <laughs> Incredible resource for research. They know what they're doing. They do. It's like they uh, archive photos. <laughs> It's so useful for when you need photographs. <laughs> yeah. So January, little low key there. February 11th, 1999. Bonkers news from the Garth Brooks camp. Garth Brooks goes to spring training with the San Diego Padres. I mean, no one saw this coming. Yeah. The biggest musician in country music has now signed on to go to spring training with a baseball team. Seems a little bizarre, but he issues a salary Mm -hmm. and asks that the Padres donate $200,000 to a charity that he is beginning. He just founded a charity, which has the one of the most insane names for a charity. It's called the Touch 'em All Foundation. Oh, really? Wow. You know, it's like that's like there's no second draft for anything with this man. There is no like there is no like round two. It's like Chris Gaines sold 800 million albums. This is my touch of child charity. It's like, okay, Garth, whatever you say. Yeah. Wow. So I (laughs) believe the impetus behind the charity is that it benefits multiple charities. So you donate to touch them all and then it touches all of the children's charities. You touch them all. (laughs) 
but a children's so, charity called Touch Em All. This is so beyond. I mean, do you know what that is? That's a fucking Saturday Night Live sketch where it's like, huh, I'm Garth and this is my Touch Em All children's charity. That is a fake SNL commercial that people would laugh at. Why that was not in the episode, I don't know. Probably because it earned so much money for the ch- for the kids. Probably because it's real. That's why they didn't I make can't a believe of it. that. It, it does seem weird in 1999, but Garth has done it multiple times to raise money for this charity. He's also trained with the Mets and more recently with the Pirates. It's healthy exercise. He is an athlete. Baseball is cool. He played baseball and football in high school. He was a javelin thrower. Like, he has a history of this. He's also like, I mean, you got to stay fit somehow. Right? I guess. And <laughs> no. if, if you love baseball, Does why not play basement with... basement gym in Oklahoma? Just watching <sighs> watching Fixer Upper on the treadmill I mean, like everyone else? I don't know why he... I mean, I can't imagine his concerts aren't enough exercise. It's just hard to imagine. It's got... Oh, my God. Particularly someone that doesn't drink. It's wild to did me. He ev- did he always not drink? He... He drank. I think he drank when he turned. I don't know. That's Does speculation. That mean he was, when We're he, back on speculation. This is, I'm just curious because if you're a bouncer, I just figure most people who are employed by bars, it's especially when they're 20, 21, 22. He's a Christian. He's into the ladies, not the alcohol. That almost makes it worse <laughs> that you're cheating without being drunk. That you're. It's like you know yeah. what? It's like drunk. It's not like an excuse, but it's like an under. I can see how it happens. I had all my wits about me, and I still <laughs> did this. These thing. were conscious choices that I was making all along with yeah. no like excuse. Yeah, yeah. Not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to make fun of <laughs> Garth Brooks' decisions. This I is am not a what little sh- bit. It's not what this show's about. But come on, don't cheat. <laughs> So, February 11th, 1999, he's training in San Diego with the Padres, shoots up uh, north a little bit to Los Angeles, March 10th, 1999, and at Paramount Pictures Studio Lot, makes an official announcement for The Lamb. Present at this press conference are Garth Brooks, Don Was, Kenneth Babyface Edmonds, Sherry Lansing, who is the CEO of Paramount, Pat Quigley, who is the president of Capitol Records, Lisa Sanderson, who is the head of Red Strokes Entertainment, the movie division of Garth's Empire, and Tracy Edmonds, who was Babyface's wife at the time. What is she doing there? I had the same question, and I felt bad asking it. She's, she a, I don't know. Is she a songwriter or anything? She's not a songwriter. She's in entertainment and TV production. And so am I. Can I just a, show up at press conferences? It's a question I couldn't answer in a way that I felt good about. <laughs> but you know what? Can I just say something? Good for her. Yeah. Oh, good. She was, she was at <laughs> no, the table. I'm show up now. Yeah. That's she was great. at the table. Good it's for awesome. Her. It's also worth noting. There's another photo of this that we will share. It's amazing. This table of people doing the press conference, and the Chris Gaines album art is behind them. So it's huge, like the huge. Brady Bunch. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh. So again, important to remember, March of '99, artwork is done. The photos have been taken. Yeah. They, they just... have been taken. They have been photoshopped. They have been color corrected. Right. It's. <laughs> The typography was argued about. They settled on a thing. They put it behind them. So, like, the press materials exist. The machine that's involved with this is moving forward. The gears are so turning. Yeah. And I wanted to just make a quick note about some of those people at the table. Sherry Lansing uh, was the first female head of a major motion picture studio, which was 20th Century Fox. And she was CEO at Paramount, which is incredible accolades she produced the movie fatal attraction she produced the movie the accused women's films they're controversial and she didn't shy away from them no but they are also very explicitly women's films i would say yes that's pretty cool um she was involved with these might not sit with you as well uh forrest gump titanic and braveheart Uh, 
not all at Paramount, but she was involved in the production of all of those. I mean, that just gives, you know, she has an eye for like, I want to be rich as fuck. She knows how to pick winners and she also mm-hmm. knows how to pick things that are maybe a little, I don't, I don't want to say edge, but like not mainstream. I don't know that The Accused is a film the for the masses. The Accused is not a mainstream film. Uh, certainly not. But Forrest Gump certainly was, right. you know. She's got a good yeah. combo there. Pat Quigley, head of Capitol Records. He is a controversial figure. There's a Nashville Scene article. <laughs> This is actually from 1998 when he comes to Nashville. I love this. The story spread rapidly on Music Row. Pat Quigley, a transplanted northerner, the new president slash CEO of Capital Nashville, was brainstorming with his department. Blah, 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 blah. What? Transplanted northerners in the first sentence. I like, love it. He was considered an outsider coming into Nashville, Pat Quigley, which I think is right in line with this story that Garth Brooks, the biggest country star who's been signed to Capitol Records for a decade, is now doing a movie yeah. as a pop rock guy. And Man. Pat Quigley is on board. It's really funny to try to even think of like in a modern day equivalent of just it really is hard for me to well Lady Gaga was your citation before I think that's pretty apt in a way but not really at the same time it's like you have to because Lady Gaga God bless her it's like she's not the number one pop star in the world she's up there though she's up there but she is not Garth level 90s fame no only Beyonce is that though right Beyonce is that God I don't know like who else in the music industry I guess Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift would be a good example yes. then because, okay, she actually did have some country. Absolutely. And, music. and made yeah, the yeah, transition. Yeah. And made the transition from like country to pop, but she always wanted to be a pop. And whatever, <laughs> you know? But she, but a, a good example would be if Taylor Swift, okay, I'm like one of the number one pops. Okay, I'm going to do chamber music. Right. I'm going to learn how to play the fucking cello and I'm going to do chamber music now. Also, I'm not doing it as Taylor Swift. I'm doing it as like Mistress Leanna Kitty Cat. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's like, and then everyone's like, okay, all right, well, let's take some photos. I, You know what I mean? It's like... Yeah, it, yeah. It's, I agree with the absurdity of that, but it's so crazy to think of that in 2019 because I think that'd be fine. In 1999, mm-hmm. it just... It was different. The media, the, I mean, the music industry and the media was so much smaller. I mean, the... And your relation, Taylor Swift's relationship with her audience is so much more direct now that, like, you know, all these, there's press conferences and, you know, press releases mm-hmm. coming from Garth about Chris Gaines. He's talking to Billboard. Like, she would post to Instagram. Yeah. And, like, be in Lady Kitty Cat's face or whatever. And people would be like, holy shit, yeah. I can't wait for chamber music. Like She would delete all of her social media and absolutely. put up a new picture of yeah. Lady Kitty Cat. And that's thing too about country music more so than other genres of music is how much fan interaction the artists have Mm -hmm. they go out of their way to have it it's their bread and butter it's like fanfare used to be a huge it's what is it now cma fest yes but I mean, there is a story about Garth where he, in like 1993, 1994, the height of his fame, it's like Garth stood for 23 hours at yeah. fanfare and took pictures with every motherfucker that was in line waiting to see him. You know, people don't do that of his caliber. Agreed. Anymore. Yeah. And I think that is very unique of Garth. I do think there is a sidebar there that we can get into in a later episode about the artifice of country music and, mm-hmm. and that relationship with fans. Without a doubt. And yeah. if that's real or not. But back to the press conference. 1999. The last person at the table was Lisa Sanderson, head of Red Strokes Entertainment, the film division of Garth Brooks Empire. <laughs> so 
Lisa Sanderson is, from what I can tell, a pretty close friend of Garth and has been employed by him for a very long time. We have to jump forward in time a little bit to fully understand Lisa Sanderson. Mm -hmm. She is head of Red Strokes Entertainment. They're supposed to be making movies and TV shows, etc., particularly The Lamb. But we don't see The Lamb. No. That doesn't happen. And in 2013, she sues Brooks Mm -hmm. for saying that she is head of this film division and Garth basically sabotaged every deal that came down the line. Yeah. She was promised a bonus. She wants to get some money. All the specifics about the money are not really that important. The anecdotes are... (laughs) Please, go on. So I think it's important to remember this is from a lawsuit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From a person that is very pissed at another person. I'm suing you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. For, like, making me not be successful. Mm -hmm. And so take a lot of this with a grain of salt. It's unfounded, really. It's, like, one person's word against another. Mm -hmm. This is not a Law & Order episode where we have evidence. It's literally just one person. She says that they lost animation deals with Disney because of Garth's hubris. There was a Fox pitch about a rock star worth more dead than alive. That sounds familiar. Sounds like Chris Gaines. Sounds like the concept of the lamb. I think this is later. And they're just maybe recycling. I don't know. Great anecdotes around this. I just want to go. Did you say an animation? An animation. Like a Garth Brooks cartoon is the implication here? I'm not. At least him is the voice, right? Interesting. You know? Um, (laughs) Most interesting to me is that they had offers for Garth to be in Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. And Twister. I know. So let's remember that Frank Darabont, famed writer of like the good Indiana Jones, like (laughs) friends with Spielberg in a big way. Darabont is awesome. They offered Saving Private Ryan. This is a quote from the lawsuit. Brooks refused to accept the role, indicating that he wanted to be the star and was unwilling to share the limelight with the rest of the ensemble cast. Tom Hanks. Which included (laughs) Tom Hanks, Matt Damon, and Ed Burns. funny to me it's insane that's really funny to me that's incredibly baller in a way you know i don't don't know i want to have the fucking balls to be like i don't want to share billing with tom hanks brooks further stated that although he idolized tom hanks he did not believe anyone would ever want to see that movie Wow. Um, am I wrong in thinking that the Twister role, they wanted him for what ended up being the Carrie Elwes villain role? Um, am I making this up? So he passes on Spielberg's Saving Private Ryan, mm-hmm. and Spielberg passes him Twister, passes him a script for Twister. and says, you should be a bad guy in this. And he also passed on the film, saying that the star of the film was the tornado, and Brooks wanted to be the star. So he's going to be a villain in Twister, but the tornado was the star. Couldn't do it. Wow. <sighs> I want to be the star. I mean, at least according to this lawsuit. Yeah, and this is know? 2013 lawsuit. This is yeah, not yeah, 1999 yeah. related, but it is good to remember that Lisa Sanderson is probably already frustrated at this point with making... You know, Garth is from Oklahoma. Like, he would have fucking crushed Twister. Oh, absolutely. Right? And like, he's Like, great. Saving Private Ryan, eh, like, you can be, I don't know, a sniper or something. Mm. I don't know. I don't 100% see that one. But, like, Twister, absolutely. Yes. 100%. That would have been so cool. I have seen Twister 45,000 times. Oh, yeah. Me, minimum 8,000. Yeah. The actual story of that movie was the belt that saved Helen Hunt's <laughs> it life. It is. Yeah. It is the belt. <laughs> Garth Brooks could have been the belt. He could have been the belt. Interesting side note Red Strokes Entertainment, the film division, has produced 
two films. Uh, it was a 20-year endeavor from Lisa Sanderson, but they managed to produce two things. 2010's Unanswered Prayers with a cast of literally no one you've ever heard of. And 2001's Call Me Claus with Whoopi Goldberg. Unanswered Prayers, you say, was the name of the movie? The 2010 one, yeah. Okay. That's a long sidebar to say that Lisa Sanderson sues Garth Brooks, and you should all look up the lawsuit mm-hmm. because there's so many juicy, unfounded details. Uh, eventually dismissed, right? Uh, they settle. Yeah. Se- okay. So that was the official announcement, March 10th, 1999, May 5th. I don't know what happens in April. Let the man do something in April. Spring. Spring happens in April. Yeah. Uh, Maybe he's back at Padres training. Maybe he's reading a book. Uh, So May, early May 1999, uh, the 34th Annual Academy of Country Music Awards. Garth wins Artist of the Decade. Good for him. Amazing. Earned. Very much so earned. May 6th, the next day, 1999, we find that the Chris Gaines album was cited for release. Now, that is way earlier. Yeah, 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 Than yeah. the September date that it actually comes out on. And really two months after the press release in March. But let me tell you something. Billboard magazine <laughs> has got the scoop. <laughs> Melinda Newman at Billboard either got some insanely bad information or some insanely great information because there's definitely an article here where she is flat out saying this should come a May 4th yeah. pop release. May 4th pop release. Uh... And she's got all the details right. It's a soundtrack to a forthcoming film. Don Was is producing. Mm-hmm. It's called The Life of Chris Gaines. A clear gutter running down the left side of the front of the CD will read the prelude to the lamb. Like, she's got a copy. It's, she's got a copy. She's seen, yeah. And I want to, uh, the, the idea says Brooks is that by the time the movie comes out next year, people will recognize the songs in the film as well as have a constant reminder that the movie is coming. This is a quote. I hate it when you go to a movie and there's this pop star playing in front of millions and you've never heard any of the songs before. You oh, hate that? I okay, hate that. I hate that. It's my prop. Have I ever seen a movie that does that? Um, I mean, if you've seen like The Commitments or I guess a movie about, about a fake band. What about that thing you do? That thing you do, yeah, absolutely. Love that movie. So good. The Oneaters. <sighs> they had great songs. And you know who was involved in that movie? Tom Hanks. Don was. Knows what he's doing. Yeah, Tom Hanks doesn't. So that's a funny little aside for May. Congrats to Melinda, though, on her scoops. Like, honestly. And and her article was called The Beat. (laughs) Yeah, Melinda's on The Beat. She did it. So April, June, and July, we don't really have a lot going on with Brooks from our research. And I think that's most likely because we know that his mother was dying of cancer. Yeah. So he was likely at her bedside. Yeah. He leaves the Padres training uh, and his mom passes away on August 9th, 1999. Uh, Colin Carroll, who we spoke about in episode two, very accomplished musician, loving Spitfire, raised a huge family. Mm-hmm. Her raised hus- a superstar, raised the most right. famous, <laughs> raised the most famous man in country music. Just low-key did that. <laughs> yeah. I mean. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, just unbelievable. So, I mean... Kudos. Just, yeah, kudos to her. And just every anecdote you hear about Garth, aside from Lisa Sanderson, is like he's a wonderfully polite and sweet human being. Yeah, and everything bad you hear about him, they're so it's so personal. And you know what I mean? Right. Sorted, I suppose, in a way. But in, in terms of just like... Being on the right side of history, having a good compass generally, just trying to be a good guy generally. Yeah. It, I can see it. You I can know? see it too. Uh, so Colleen Carol Brooks. 
What's insane about the passing of Garth's mother, which we don't know when she was diagnosed. We don't know how long he was dealing with this. We do know on the double live album that he released at the end of 98, there's a live performance of a song that he wrote for his mother. Mm -hmm. So there's at least a year where he's aware of it and dealing with it mentally. But still, September 17th, 1999. Just a little more than a month later, about six weeks later. Yeah, Garth Brooks appears on Jay Leno. The Tonight Show with Jay Leno to promote the Chris Gaines album. Because at this point, you know, we don't know what he's doing in April, June, and July, but we do know that Capitol Records is pushing, pushing, pushing all yeah. kinds of Chris also, Gaines. Also, probably only Garth Brooks would have been allowed to have April, June, and July off to spend time with his dying mom. Right. Anyone else, they're not going to let you. Right. They're not going to let you. Absolutely. If you're if you're one degree less famous than Garth Brooks, if you're Keith Urban in 1999, right. they're not going to let you go hang out with your mom for no. three months. you got to go on these circuits and mm-hmm. do all your promotion. Yeah. But the label is doing that work. Just from scouring eBay, there are lots of promotional items that come from the Chris Gaines world. There's mm-hmm. a seven inch with Lost in You. There's a dance 12 inch. I swear to God it exists. No I will, shit. I will digitize it soon. It is awful. There's glossy photos there's buttons like badges that you wear on your jacket there's vhs copies of uh, the nbc special that will air later they're going crazy and they actually get lost in you to be a very high performing single Mm -hmm. all things yeah exactly so the promotional machine is happening people are starting to hear that song like retail stores are starting to make the orders like capitol records does not slow down at all like garth is spending time with his mom and his mom is passing and they're full steam ahead no pausing yeah. here so when september 17th comes and you've got a jay leno booking you go on it mm-hmm. i am told that he plays a chris gaines song not as chris gaines as garth brooks and i have photos from getty images cannot find what song he played so if anyone yeah. out there knows exactly what song it is i'll give you full credit on this show for telling me what it is if I, you were in jay leno's august 19th 1999 audience <laughs> and you happen to remember the performances of garth brooks please yeah. do let us know so And then just a few days later, September 28th, the day that In the Life of Chris Gaines, the Best Of album is released, Brooks also appears on Conan O'Brien. Yeah, damn. And plays Main Street. Like, he's a guest sitting at the desk, and he also goes and plays a song, not as Chris Gaines, as Garth. Mm -hmm. And earlier in the day, he appeared on the Rosie O'Donnell show with Sarah Michelle Gellar. I bet that was a great episode. I'm sure it was. So he's doing the talk show circuit. He's playing these Chris Gaines songs. And his mom is, like, I can't imagine being over your parent passing in that short of a window. No, it's horrible. It's horrible. It's horrible. Horrible. Even if you'd been dealing with the slow degradation for years, like that almost makes it worse. Yeah. It's, but it's, now you're in New York and here's Conan. Be funny. Yeah. Exa- and he is. Yeah. And he is, which is insane. Ugh. So September 29th, the day after some of these appearances, and there's many other appearances too. There's billboard articles that kind of cite them all there's, tracking down. Oh God, there was one where he was supposed to be on Crook and Chase and we can't find it. Tracking down uh, TV production information from 1999 <laughs> in 2019 is very difficult yeah nothing Uh, was digitized you know imdb will cite something but it's barely there barely 
Like there's a lot of this stuff just fully doesn't exist. Even anymore. the Tonight Show Wikipedia, which some Jay Leno super fan has got to be like constantly updating that thing. <laughs> there's nothing mentioning this. Like mm. that's just kind of nuts to me. Anyway, that's why we don't have tons of information there, but just the idea that he's doing the talk show circuit. September 29th, 1999, Gaines releases an NBC special about Chris Gaines. It's like a combination interview show slash talking head and a performance where Garth is playing in front of a nice big crowd playing Chris Gaines songs and kind of giving these fun anecdotes in between yeah. songs, explaining what this Chris Gaines thing is. At one point he talks about, uh, he introduces Chris Gaines and how Chris you got to know what Chris looks like we booked the young kid who played Brad Pitt in seven years in Tibet to play young Chris Gaines and then I'm supposed to play him from 1992 on after his car wreck maybe some of you're wondering what this cat Chris kind of looks like all right you got to know he was in a bad bad car wreck in 92 okay because we got this young kid to play him from 1986 to 1992. Happens to be the same young kid that played young Brad Pitt in Seven Years of Tibet, right? I casted him myself, of course, you know. Because, you know, the kid's just gorgeous, right? And I'm looking at him, I'm going, yeah, that's me. Yeah. <laughs> so, so. This guy's in a car wreck in 1992, right? And so I'm supposed to take the character over from 92 on. So my loving brother, the first time he ever sees young Chris, he looks at his face and he looks at me and he goes, that must have been a hell of a car wreck. He's funny. He's like funny in this thing. I know. You know? He's charming. Yeah. uh, Consistently. But he also... There's a there's a twinge of sadness to it where he kind of talks about like Chris Gaines voice being in this upper octave and being like more R&B and soulish. And he's like, you don't believe that coming out of this mouth, meaning that Garth is a pudgy fat guy Mm -hmm. and like out of shape and that he lost 40 pounds to play Chris Gaines. And in the photos, he can suck his cheeks in and it works. But performing live is really hard because you don't buy it. I just, you pointed this out a long time ago when we started this project. I feel like there's some deep-seated self-loathing there around his physique as an athlete. I mean, he, there aren't even men in the public eye who talk about their bodies at all, let alone like this face, this guy, I'm a big galoot, I'm a big lump, you know what I mean? He's really, really self-deprecating and that was part of his appeal as a performer, number one, is like he would, he would, his concerts, like, I'm not the best guitar player in the world, I'm no Keith Urban, you know, not the best guitar player not the best looking guy not the sexiest guy still the number one fucking guy though (laughs) still the number one guy but it's like you're not perfect you're very 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 human right very human and being human is hard and mostly not fun (sighs) wow that's the episode title right there I mean, not even do I have to go on Jay Leno and Conan and talk about this. It's like right after my mom died. I'm talking about this project where it's like, oh, this fictional character's father has just died, too. You know what I mean? It's like it's heady. It's heady, heady, heady stuff. And it's like you've got a family at home, too. His kids just lost their grandma. Right. Where's dad? He's on fucking Jay Leno. Right. There's something yeah. there that we can revisit later. Uh, Garth's body image issues are fascinating. Yeah, to and me. you know we we talked about earlier where he was talking about not being afraid to cry. Mm-hmm. Like Garth is woke. Like Garth is woke as fuck. He really is. He's 
obviously explicitly masculine in a lot of really obvious ways. He's physically big. He's physically imposing. He grew up playing sports. He's an athletic football baseball javelin i'm gonna throw a fucking spear right you know it's like sex sex womanizing i'm a horny dude and all i wanted to do was get my dick wet every night you know what i mean (laughs) and so this is garth so this is a a real real side of garth the other real side of garth is i'm a songwriter i love my mom i'm not afraid to cry he doesn't seem to be sexist or racist or any sort of like shitty kind of ist that is very very common Um, In the country music world. In the world. In the world, but especially concentrated within his industry. Mm -hmm. And he just has never been that guy. He's like, no, I'm going to do the music video about domestic violence and like, fuck you if you have a problem with it. Yes. I respect respect that so much. Absolutely. I love Garth. That is one thing that Chris Gaines Project has taught me is how much I respect Garth Brooks. Yeah. So September 29th, that thing airs. He's been doing promo for it. Jump to October 22nd. uh, The GQ Awards Mm. happen. There's photos on Getty Images we'll share. He doesn't look great. He does not look happy to be there, Yeah, in my opinion. You know, we're not getting into the reviews and the response and the reception of Chris Gaines in this episode. But by October 1999, you've got a month of responses. So when he's at the GQ Awards, he knows what people think about this. If you want to see some pictures of a man who's heard a lot of shit about himself yeah a couple months after your mom dies can't wait to see that photo yeah. uh october 23rd he does the vh1 concert of the century which i'm sure you don't remember <laughs> uh but it was like on the white house lawn or something there's pictures of garth with the clintons and he performs a medley of songs that are like by musicians and and artists that uh, made a difference and made a change it's actually extremely sweet um but he plays the young blood's get together which is part of the chris the gains, gains song yeah. right now uh so he does he does drop a little bit just of self-promotion a little, a little, a little subtle winky yeah yeah early november 1999 november 8th that is the monday before the snl appearance and as ashley and i are snl aficionados <laughs> Uh, we we can... know exactly what he was doing that week. We do not need to speculate. Garth yes. was rehearsing. Yes. So uh, <laughs> if you've never watched a behind the scenes on SNL and how the the week works leading up to it, you should. It's fascinating. Garth was likely in the writer's room mm-hmm. and, and performing as Chris Gaines as a rehearsal and just yeah. buttoning everything up. Show, my favorite thing about Saturday Night Live is how well, it's supposed to be my favorite thing and it's supposed to happen is when there are hosts and guests it's that they always ask them what do you want to do? What do you like? What are you good at? Do you do any accents? Do you do any kind of characters? Sort of fun things and Garth does it all. Yeah. My friends Garth does it all. What a great host to have. Performer. Showman immaculate. Oh my god. We'll have a whole SNL episode. I just ugh, I just wanted to take a brief moment to share my appreciation right now. Yeah. While I have uh, the opportunity. It's a very good episode as we have cited many <laughs> times. It airs on November 13th, 1999. Garth Brooks as host. Chris Gaines as musical mm-hmm. guest. Comb through the SNL archives. I was there. I was watching it at home. But find more examples of that. Like you might have somebody be the host Host and the musical guest under the same name. You mm-hmm, might of course, have, yeah, yeah. You might have Donald Glover and Childish Gambino in 2018 doing that, but in 1999, it, it's pretty rare. Yeah, and again, all not to disrespect Donald Glover, whom I love very much, but he's about like 8,000 degrees of celebrity below Garth Brooks. Yeah, that's you fair. Know? That's yeah. no slide on him. Yeah, we might. I think we just established that we're going to do a whole episode on the SNL appearance because we love it so much. But go to. Uh, 
Garth Brooks Chris Gaines Countdown.com to see hundreds of GIFs from the episode if you want to relive it. There's you can find some sketches clips here and there. This episode's most notable sketch is Devil Can't Write No Love Song, where Will Farrell plays the devil. Garth Brooks is playing a songwriter and <laughs> Uh, says, I'd sell my soul to the devil to write a good song. Will Ferrell appears in a huge puff of smoke and tries to write a hit song with Garth Brooks, and they're all terrible. One of my coworkers referenced that sketch to me, yeah. just like in the past couple weeks. It's incredible. It sketch. really is very good. It holds up. <laughs> it's super good. Will Ferrell. Yeah, yeah. Round of applause to Will Ferrell. You know, and I believe Adam McKay was a writer on the episode. So Will Ferrell and Adam mm, McKay, yeah, 1999, yeah. just being able to let loose. That's great. We'll pause there because there's clearly a lot to say. Um, November 18th, just a little bit after the SNL episode, Garth Brooks tapes an episode of Austin City Limits. Impossible to find a copy of it, but there is a review that Ashley found that cites uh, several of the songs that he played. I mean, it's not a great review, uh-uh. but it says it's like brooks had a stylistic checklist he was ticking off prince check fleetwood mac check we won't even get into the little rap thing he inserted into a reworking of the 60s anthem everybody get together so from what we know of the chris Gaines, that means he probably played way of the girl probably played digging for gold and right now yeah digging for gold being the fleetwood mackiest of the tracks i always find it really interesting that they refer to that little spoken word part as rap it's consistently referred to as rap and i don't think it's rapping at all it's just it's not. Uh, we can have another conversation about defining genres in this project. Um, Part I agree. 147 of the Chris Gaines project. Yeah. What is art? If you were wondering, we do have 350 episodes planned out <laughs> coming to you weekly. No, so after that, we that episode of Austin City Limits is not set to air until February of 2000. But by the time February 2000 hits, Chris Gaines is over. a damn. So... Luckily, I would love to know more about the backstory of this. This could be its own podcast. But November 23rd, 1999, this is almost exactly one year after Double Live came out and two months after the Chris Gaines album came out. Garth Brooks releases The Magic of Christmas. Like, just pops out a Christmas Which, album. Which, by the way, is a platinum record, because that's the most important thing <laughs> about it. About any kind of record is how many it sold. It sold at least, what, a million? Well, it is, yeah. it is important to remember that the Chris Gaines thing, which is, we will get into how it was perceived, but he put out a Christmas record, and it did super well. Yeah, like, right on, like, right on the heels of this he crazy reco- thing. He had to have recorded the Christmas album that year, too, because people record the Christmas albums in the summer. I wonder if he was recording the album, too, in, like, the April, May, June right. lag. Yeah. So that gets us through 1999 <laughs> and, and a little bit of 2000. Um, we do know that shortly thereafter, he announces that he is divorcing Sandy Mall, mm-hmm. uh, wife of 14 years. Which is a very long time to, to try and make it work. To try and make it work. There's lots of quotes about him saying he would go days without calling her. Like, he said there was a quote we found. He was talking about his, his life on the road in the 90s. He said, we didn't have cell phones back then. I would go days without. This was from 
from like a 2000s interview. I would go days without talking to her. Let me remind everyone that in the Chris Gaines story, yeah. when he has his car accident and what was it, 92? Yep. When Chris Gaines has a car accident in 1992, he uses his cell phone to call 911 for help. But multi, multi-millionaire number one performer on the goddamn planet, Garth Brooks, can't get a cell phone in 1992 to call his wife. I just find that interesting. Or doesn't want to. I I. <laughs> I, I, I'm like sputtering in anger. Like I'm sputtering in anger. It's oh. So how dare he? Anyway. Yeah. So that's that's how Chris Gaines came <laughs> to be. You know, we do need to point out that we don't have insight into the mind of Garth Brooks. Yeah, we don't have insight into the mind of Garth Brooks. But he's clearly going through a hard time mm-hmm. with his wife as he announces his divorce later. We know from the liner notes of In the Life of Chris Gaines. We know that. In his with love section, he thanks his kids. I love you. I love you. I love you. He thanks the Brooks, the Smiths, like all of these people. And he says, Sandy, as if living with Garth wasn't hard enough. Now Chris has moved in with us. Thanks for putting up with both of us, which is affable and self-deprecating, but also has got to come from a kernel of truth. I mean, if I were Sandy and I was reading that, I would just be like, fuck you. Yeah. Right. I think that's fair. Right. Come on. To recap, 1999, we see a double live album released, breaks all kinds of records. Garth announces that he will be starring in a movie called The Lamb with music produced by Babyface. He announces an album produced by Don Was to be released in September, unless you got the beat. (laughs) Unless you were reading Billboard uh, in March of that year, in which case you thought the album was coming out in May. Right. And then your mom passes. Yeah. From from a disease, from a horrible... Yeah. Yeah. Your mom passes from a disease that she's been fighting for a while, and... But then you have to go on the talk show circuit. And now you got to go chat with Jay Leno. Who's like kind of your buddy. Like Garth Brooks is on Jay Leno so many times. Time. He literally goes back on Jay Leno in December to promote the Christmas album. And Arnold Schwarzenegger is the other guest. And they have that chummy, <gasps> chummy time. Just keep that in mind. When you think about how funny Chris Gaines is, what a, what a disaster, what a hilarious mm-hmm. idea he had. This is the context in which that came out. Yeah. And, and it's so much different to think about it when his mom passes. Like, granted, he recorded the songs a year prior, but mm-hmm. having to put your all behind this when you're in that mindset is just way different. And it's not, and you always have to remember too, when you're at his level, it's never just you. It's not my career. It's the career of the hundreds of people who work for me and under me. It's the people at Paramount who have their jobs on the line with this movie. You know what I mean? It's like it, in the past few weeks, I have had like a lot of hard, stressful work that I've had to do in just my nine to five work. But you know what? At the end of the day, it's just my nine to five work. I can't imagine a full decade of that right. with the added pressure of hundreds of other people's livelihoods and millions of dollars on the line. I really, really can't. No. I really, really can't. It's insane to think about. It's a responsibility well beyond, I think, yeah. most of our comprehension. And we always make jokes, that, or at least I do. You know, it's like, oh, when's the last time he heard no? When's the, you know, it's like you've had your ass kissed for 10 years too. And this is why you don't let it happen because your ass is kissed until it's fucking bit. You know what I mean? It's like, it will come to bite you in the ass you need to have a sandy or a someone to like beyond just yell at you you need to have i don't care who you are you need to have someone yell at you and tell you when you're being stupid yeah 
For sure. Absolutely. And also within that context, think about behind the life of Chris Gaines where everyone's like, he's so broody. He's so blah, blah, blah. Like he probably filmed that in the summer Mm -hmm. when his mom was in the hospital. Yeah. And like has to play this character. And yeah, of course he's brooding. Like to say nothing of the fact that, by the way, he's what, 37, 38, he's pushing 40. He's like, you're legitimately hitting middle age. Self-deprecating about his weight. Like Mm -hmm. there's there's so much complexity wrapped up in Chris Gaines. Oh, my God. It's not even the music. There are layers everyone just thinks that the soul patch and the silly wig and right. just the sort of like i'm singing like this now uh-uh so much more layers on layers oh my god he's a seven layer dip <laughs> for sure so we can go into more comparisons between chris gaines life and garth brooks life if you'd like Chris Gaines is a sex addict. We've heard tons of examples of Garth Brooks having Mm -hmm. infidelity. Chris Gaines is a rocker and loves all of this rock and roll music. Garth Brooks loves Kiss. Yeah. Garth Brooks grows up on all of those things. Mm, Billy Joel. I, there's a Fleetwood really good, Mac. Like, Fleetwood Mac is fucking baller. Billy Joel is a really, really interesting one though. And I, there's a tweet I'm going to quote, I don't know who tweeted this tweet, (laughs) but I'm going to quote this tweet, uh, which I think is really astute. It was like, Billy Joel tricked a generation into thinking they love rock music when they actually love show tunes. Which we hear on the Chris Gaines album. Which is so accurate and apt. Yes. So accurate and apt. For sure. Chris Gaines has a best friend that dies in a plane crash. You know, uh, Garth Brooks has a friend that dies in a plane crash in Mm. college. Chris Gaines gets in a horrible car wreck that disfigures him. Garth Brooks has a friend in college that dies in a A car car wreck. Like all of these things that seem so outlandish. And there are many details of the story that are worth calling out as outlandish. I mean, the entire Chris Gaines story is just one of strife. Yeah. And struggle and just getting shit on constantly from all corners. Like, who's mad at you? My dad. Who's mad at you now? God, because my friend is dead. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just like, it's if it's not one thing, it's another. But a lot of it is rooted in the strife yeah. that Garth experienced. Mm-hmm. And I think the passing of Chris Gaines' father is clearly a citation of Garth knowing that his mom is going to die. I don't think it can be anything else. It's ridiculous to pretend it's not. It's ridiculous to pretend it's not. Like we said, by how much work was already done by the time they announced the project and just what little like gossipy tidbits we've heard about like when he started forming this project. It makes sense. It makes sense. You know? Yeah. I mean, he's playing that song from his double live album that's to his mom. So it's not even like speculation. It's just like context clues. And then Chris recorded a song, a cover song that his father used to yep. sing for his mother uh, after oh. his father passed. I mean, calm. I'm kind of getting on. I'm kind of getting hot eyes about that. I mean, it's it's a lot because here's this is the thing too. It's like there's Garth Brooks. God bless him. He is not a man of subtlety. No, <laughs> you know. He's just not. It's really everything is so easy to see. It's sad in a way. It's ambitious. It's bold. I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know. It's a lot. There's, oh, God. It's fascinating. And that's why this show exists. So uh, next episode will be about the reception critically to the album, which I think you can all feel safely. Guess how that went. Yeah. Guess how that went. (laughs) So we'll have lots of quotes for you, uh, good and bad, around the release of the Chris Gaines album and just kind of run down a little bit of that. 
We'll try and keep it short, but based on what we did today where we thought we were going to keep it short, <laughs> probably not going to happen. Wait, is this like seven hours? Yeah, we're at uh, Mark 8 right now. Uh, anyway, it's going to be great. Uh, we'll probably talk about this SNL episode in a future episode. We have several more topics to talk about to cover this this whole ordeal. If you have something that you want us to talk about, please get at us on Twitter at Garth Gaines SNL. Visit us at ChrisGainesPodcast.com. We're brought to you by We Own This yeah. Town. Go listen to Thank the- you to We Own This Town and all the great podcasts on the podcast network. Like, like, like Hot Men. Like Hot Men It Is One, My Fantasy Funeral, uh, uh, Vidal Street, uh, yeah. others. <laughs> there's a long list. <laughs> it's like- there's a lot of good ones on there. So check it out, WeOwnThisTown.net. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you, Michael. And thank you, listeners. Talk at you next time. I will say the cover to Garth Brooks and the Magic of Christmas is an amazing cover of Garth in front of a moonscape with like a nice crescent moon and clouds behind him. And he seems to be holding an orb, just a reflective orb. I don't I don't really understand it, but I don't want to. I first think, of all, first of all, first of all, he's, he's definitely channeling Chris Gaines. Here. He's definitely chan- he's giving like fully blue steel. <laughs> like this is a fully blue steel face. His head is down. He's sucking in the cheeks.